0: Hi, I'm Elise Lunen, co-host with Gwyneth of the Goop Podcast. Today's guest is Nora McInerney. Before we get to my conversation with Nora, I want to give a quick shout out to our friends at Dr. Sheffield, who helped make today's episode possible. Yes, we know, brushing our teeth is important, even though my kids don't quite believe me yet. It matters what kind of toothbrush you have, and it really matters what kind of toothpaste you're using. Dr. Sheffield invented and started making toothpaste in the 1870s. He was the first one to put it in a tube. Today, Dr. Sheffield's certified natural toothpaste is SLS-free and made without harmful bleaching agents, fluoride, or artificial preservatives. It's also certified by the Natural Products Association. But that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice taste or texture. Their toothpaste comes in eight different flavors, including ones for kids like strawberry, banana, mixed berry, and chocolate. I'm learning with my boys that toothpaste flavor is a major selling point. To learn more about Dr. Sheffield's Certified Natural Toothpaste, head to drsheffieldsnaturals.com. It's also available at any major retailer like CVS and Walgreens.
1: Don't hold anything too tightly.
0: Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless. But we will use words to limit ourselves.
1: When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves. And that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders, and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers, and seekers. Here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise.
0: Nora McInerney is the host of the podcast, Terrible, Thanks for Asking, and she's also the author of a series of memoirs, It's Okay to Laugh, and No Happy Endings. Most recently, she published The Hot Young Widows Club in association with TED. If you missed her incredible TED Talk, it's worth a listen, as she explores how uncomfortable we are as a society— with the grieving process. And Nora is expert in grief. Nora miscarried her second child, lost her father to cancer, and then her husband to cancer, all in the span of six weeks. Her late husband Aaron was only 35 when he died. Her grief and the processing of it became the subject of her life. She started a support group called the Hot Young Widows Club and started writing. And thank God, because she was a necessary and often hilarious voice in the hard stuff of life. On today's episode, Nora talks honestly about death and the messy and confusing feelings of grief, how there's an expectation that if you have moments of joy, that must mean you aren't sad anymore. Society often tells us that we will or should get over hard things, but the reality is that we learn how to move forward with them, not forget them. Nora is a living testament to that. In the course of our conversation, Nora made me laugh a lot, and of course she made me cry. Above all, she reminds all of us that our emotions are never tidy and that sometimes the messiness of them is what makes life most beautiful. I also want to add that we recorded this episode by phone during COVID, days after Nora moved her family from Minneapolis to Phoenix. It was right before the murder of George Floyd. Nora has a lot to say about that on her Instagram, Nora Borealis. I highly recommend you follow her there.
1: If you do not allow somebody to truly like to grieve and mourn the fact that they are missing milestones, they are missing human contact, they are missing just the stuff of life, then you are negating the value of life itself. Because life is not just the beginning and the end. It is all of these tiny things in the middle.
0: I'll let Nora take it from here. My brother, as you you know, my brother, Mm -hmm. and he's a member of the Hot Young Widows Club. Thank you for setting that Mm -hmm. up. But he was saying, too, sort of in the context of COVID, and maybe you guys had even had a conversation about it where he's like, it's really hard to get stirred about this when you've just already kind of been through the worst thing that could possibly happen.
1: Yeah. it's it. In a lot of ways, it feels like if you've experienced trauma or traumatic loss or even just regular plain, plain old grief, just the regular flavor of it, it it does feel a little bit like retreading familiar territory, even though we haven't done this specific thing before. We've felt this uncertain. We've felt this sad. We felt this helpless and out of control and useless. Because if you've watched someone you love die... And you are as useless as I am. Which I, I, as as my husband Aaron was dying of brain cancer, I was like, I think when you die, I'll be a nurse. And he said, you would be a terrible nurse. You, <laughs> you, you once threw up when I was getting a blood draw, and I was like, I was pregnant, and also I could see her poking through your skinny little body trying. To, it was disgusting. Okay, lots of nurses. <laughs> I just wouldn't do gross stuff. Okay, I would just minister unto the sick in gentle. <laughs> non-bloody ways. God, dude, give me a break. But if you've, if you've seen someone you love really struggle and been able to do nothing about it, that's what this feels like. And so in a lot of ways, people in the Hot Young Widows Club, people have just been through something awful are like, oh yeah. Uh, as, as as out of control and sort of spinning through space as you feel, welcome. This is this is how it feels. This is how it feels to struggle and, and to suffer. And now, sort of everyone's here, but a lot of people have been here for a long time. There will never be anything but this. This is the only thing I will ever feel. I will I will never not be bone crushingly sad about this thing. I will never be able to just take a deep breath and enjoy life. Nothing will ever make me feel okay again. And then it does. And it happens so slowly, you don't even realize it. And mm-hmm. oh, man. Oh, man. And, oh, man. And
0: that's what I really want to talk about because I think it's that complexity that is so – and you, you weave through it, obviously, and you express it so beautifully in both of your books. And, and in No Happy Endings, I loved this part because it's so – I mean, there, there, you, you make this point at various moments in the book so beautifully, but it was this paragraph where you say, I couldn't talk about my happiness without touching the uncomfortable truth that everything I have now is built on everything I lost, that I wouldn't have this book, my last book, a podcast, this baby, my man, and this big blended family if I hadn't first lost Aaron and my dad and that second baby.
1: Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Boom, boom. And I, it's strange because I think that the happiest days of my life to date were my days with Aaron after he was diagnosed because we knew that things. We're going to be abbreviated. We didn't know how. We were foolishly optimistic, but also we both had Google. We Googled it. We knew three to five years was the average if you have glioblastoma, and we were so dedicated to pretending otherwise for each other and with each other. We sat in his oncologist's office that first big meeting, and we're like, okay, first things first, never give us a you know and this is also this is a little bit gray's anatomy speak we don't want like a a prognosis we don't want to hear oh you have x amount to live we just want to be able to live and that is what we did and it felt so uncomplicated which is so strange to say but it felt uncomplicated because we had each other and we that was the most important thing and then we had ralph our son together and 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 this little unit of ours was the most important thing. And then I lost Aaron. And first, I lost our, our second pregnancy, which is, you know, my last chance at giving Ralph what I thought was my last chance at giving Ralph a sibling. And when I met Matthew, it felt like happiness could never be uncomplicated and mm. it could never be untinged with that that element of, of loss. And part of it was, it did feel like, you know, ill gotten gains. Like it felt like something I stole off the back of a truck. Like, can you, are you allowed to be happy? Can I, can I stand here and say, look at this beautiful life I have and not acknowledge that, that it came from loss and, and you can, it's just that I had this sense that it and i don't know if this is just the way that i was sort of what what messages about happiness that i absorbed that let me believe that it was all transactional that if i felt happy, like what had I traded for it? Had I, Mm. you know, had I taken my 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 husband Aaron and traded him in, been like, okay, well he will die and I will I will take this this new husband and I will oh he comes with two kids. That's great. Okay, we'll also rescue a dog. Oops, I'm pregnant, we'll have that baby and (laughs) oh look now we need a minivan. That's not how it happened but I could not I the worst part of me is is this feeling that I that I didn't deserve it and and that I had in some way gotten a better deal than I deserved because Aaron died. Like he died. He didn't get shit. Okay. (laughs) Like he he lost big time. And I live without him, but I'm still alive. And a part of me still believe that life should be. Fair. It should be fair. And if anyone out of the two of us should die of brain cancer, it should be the person who is known to get into verbal altercations in the target parking lot, not the person who was <laughs> easily, you know, I'm like, are you not going to return that cart? Okay. All right. That's a choice. <laughs> and honestly, uh, I do that mostly at Costco because that's where the biggest offenders are. But <laughs> Oh my happy place! Mm. Oh my god, I love oh, I love deals. I love bulk. Nothing <laughs> makes me feel safer than four four boxes of Cheerios taped together. I, oh, <laughs> I, know. I every
0: day I'm like, do you think that this is the day I can go back to Costco? And uh, um, my husband's like, just go. I don't want to talk about Costco anymore. It's interesting that you say transactional. I also think that there's this this idea we're so binary, right? And so there's this idea that you can't concurrently have emotions or that things must be it's like here's my happy phase now here's my sad phase now I'm gonna get over and I loved your TED talk about this I'm gonna get over my dead husband and like compartmentalize that and put that's in the past but that where it's it's this continual wash and when Peter my you know my brother's Mm -hmm. husband died when we got back to New York because he died in San Francisco Suddenly, and we flew to New York the next day and we went to be with friends. They're they're good friends. And it was like the it was such a roller coaster, as I'm sure you can imagine. It was mm-hmm. like we were laughing hysterically, and then people were sobbing, and then you're just moving through it all simultaneously in a way that is never tidy. And we like to pretend like emotions are tidy and that there are maybe four of them. When in reality, like you can be feeling 8,000 things at the same time and we're really bad at parsing that or allowing it, allowing it without judgment of ourselves and each other. And so I thought like this passage too, sorry, I'm just gonna read your memoirs to you. There was a version of me that thought loving another person would somehow diminish the love I still felt for Aaron. A version of me that thought that if I was happy, I must not be sad anymore. And if I wasn't sad anymore, then I guess I didn't love Aaron as much as I said I did. And, like, there's so much of that, right? Like that not even posturing, but this sort of protection of meaning that we feel like we need to do for ourselves and
1: for other people. It's a performance. It is a performance, and we all want to get it we all want to get a good review at it. And what does a good griever look like? Yeah, I, I could not tell you. have not seen one. What does a good widow look like? I assumed that I should be, I guess sad forever, but I really. Elise, I didn't want anyone's pity. And I was mm. getting so much of it that I decided real quick that was unpalatable for me that that I could not handle people's pity. And so I would give them whatever version of me would just make them treat me like, uh, like a person. And so I had maybe two or three friends who I could be absolutely honest with, but the vast majority of people in my life, including many good friends and including much of my family i i was honestly i never considered myself an actress but maybe i should try it cuz it turns out <laughs> they all believed me and they were like nora's doing amazing have you seen her also somebody said you will get you'll get over this and you'll move on and i was like that's that seems sudden and then also yet another person told me don't worry great. You're still pretty. Wow. So you'll find someone else. (laughs) I was like, great. That's (laughs) here. Like, is it you or what are we, is this, I also could not read, I could not read male attention at all, by the way. I thought literally everyone was in love with me after Aaron died. But the point that I was getting at was that I, I just had never seen somebody grieve and I did not know the depth of grief. I did not know how physical grief was, I did not know that I was having, I mean, I knew I was having migraines. I knew I couldn't sleep. I knew I was extremely erratic, extremely angry. Also then in complete denial, which I also would have said that at least that's crazy. I I won't deny my husband's dad. I was there, Uh, but I was also, I was living in a way that was not, accepting the loss mm-hmm. which was this performance of I get up every day I put on if I'm going to see somebody I will put on makeup I will wear an outfit they will be like wow I mean her husband just died look at her what a babe I will write a book I will I will do I will do and I will be the first person who makes it through grief without being too sad because I was also under the impression that after a year it would expire and just go away like software I hadn't uh, decided to re-up. And I would be a genius. People would be like, how did you get through it? And I would say, oh, uh, well, so you just don't feel anything for one year. And then it expires and you've missed it. You've missed grief. You just forgot to get on the train and it sped by you. And that was the exact opposite. Grief was in my body. It was splitting my head open with these terrible migraines. I had terrible stomach problems. I could not turn my head left or right because my muscles were so tight. I was clenching my jaw. I didn't realize that that was grief. And I also, Mm. nobody had mentioned to me, and by nobody, I mean, nobody that I was listening to had said to me that I was grieving when Aaron was diagnosed, that really my grief had Mm. begun. Like it had begun the day we found out that he had glioblastoma and that, you know, it was, it was, it was a losing battle that we were fighting. It didn't just switch on the moment he stopped breathing, and it didn't switch off after we had that funeral. Hmm. No, absolutely. And it's
0: it's has to be reckoned with. I did an Instagram Live this weekend with Laura Day, who's an incredible intuitive, but she's also a medium, although she likes to oh, God, that. trivialize that part of her skill set. And she told this story which i thought was so beautiful. So she has since she was born seen dead people and she attributes it to a, a ton of trauma and just something being, you know, wrong with her brain that she's able to perceive them. Like most intuitive, she thinks that we all have the capacity to some extent. And so her mom suicided when Laura was 14 and then as an adult both of her 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 brother and sister both suicided as well. And she was incredibly close to her mother. It was, it happened two days after her birthday. She was, you know, totally devastated. And all she wanted was to see her mother. She was seeing DPs, so as she called them, dead people, but not her mother. And just felt so so, you know, extra betrayed and and law and you know abandoned. And she said that five years later, She was with her, what would become the man who would become her first husband, and they were driving across the country in sort of an RV equivalent, and she was really happy. And she looked over at him, and her mother was there. Mm -hmm. And she was like, Mom, you know, where have you been? Like, I have been desperate for you. And she was like, I I knew I couldn't come to you until you had grieved. Mm -hmm. And... I thought that was, it just made me cry. I thought it was so beautiful and so true because I think you have to grapple with it, right? You have to wrestle it sort of to the ground. It doesn't mean that you admonish, it doesn't go away, but you have to you have to do it. It has to happen before you can learn how to live with it in a sustainable way. And I don't know, I just, was, I thought that was so stunning. And, and like you, it, it was imperceptible to her, that she had managed to get to a, a place where she could then re-engage with her dead mother without clinging to her.
1: Ugh. So,
0: isn't that beautiful?
1: Yeah. It's so beautiful. Also, I believe in that stuff majorly. And I I had this dream the other night. I so rarely get to dream about Aaron or my dad who died right around the same time as each other. and right before Aaron died, I dreamed of my father who was always doing a crossword puzzle in front of us. like he had he had hearing troubles, but also he just was very overwhelmed by all of his children together and that was that was he just liked to be of the group but not in the group. <laughs> and we were up at a, a cabin which also he never came as a child because he was like, uh, I spent enough time you know, in the wild in Vietnam. I don't really need to do it recreationally. And we were like, good point, <laughs> sir. We'll go alone with our mom. And he was out on a the screened-in porch and none of us could get his attention. And we were like, there's dad, there's dad. And he had already died at this point and Aaron was still alive. And Aaron walked up to the screened-in porch, tapped on the screen, and my dad waved him in and Aaron went in.
0: And then uh. I woke
1: up. And I remember thinking... Like looking over at Aaron when I woke up and being like, "You're going to be okay." My dad died first on purpose, one to get the attention and two, to like guide you in and and lead mm. you there. And I, every time I visited or every time I've had a dream of Aaron, it has felt like a visit. And for a long time, I would dream of him and I couldn't get to him. He, we would be at a party and people would be like, "He's there," and I would see him across the way making people laugh, being tall, being funny. And as soon as I got to where he was, he would disappear and two nights ago, I, I dreamed of him and he was, he was back. Like he was alive and he was in the hospital. And I, I rushed there and I was like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me you were here? I, I got married. <laughs> I, I, I was like, oh shit. And he stood up and he hugged me and I got to like smell him. I got to like feel him. And then we went around Minneapolis and we, we went to places we liked. And I was like, you have to meet like, you have to meet my family. And he was like, oh, I know them. And you did a really good job, Norn. And he called me Nornia, Chronicles of Nornia. i would never <laughs> had a nickname when I met him. I was like, Nora is <laughs> not a nicknameable name. And he was like, I can make one up. <laughs> and, uh, and Nornia it was. And he said that to me, like he said, you did a good job. You did a really good job, Norn. And I woke up yesterday and I felt so good. Like I like looked at my whole family and was like, I did do a good job and he wasn't – I thought he would be mad at me. I was like, oh, no. Oh, shit. I got married. I <laughs> I didn't know you were coming back. <laughs> oh, awkward. And and that also – that plays into that same insecurity we were talking about, which is like, well, who would you choose? And yeah. it wasn't a choice and it never will be. It never will be. Don't you think he probably sent you Matthew? I, I 100% think he sent me Matthew. He, Matthew and Aaron are so different and so sweet. And so there's so much similarity in the way that they love people. But Aaron was a one-man party, but not in an obnoxious way. If If you showed up and you didn't know anybody, he would bring you in. You suddenly feel comfortable, and I've, I've never, I'd never been comfortable in a situation in my entire life. I didn't go to a party in college the first night I was there because I had not gotten an invitation from the homeowner. Uh, I didn't, know, no. I didn't know you could just go to a party. So I stayed <laughs> home and watched Legally Blonde, which was the only DVD I owned, and I really thought college was just going to be watching DVDs with your friends. I was disappointed. And Matthew is uh, so shy; he is a human turtle. And yet the two of them, they they were in like concentric circles in Minneapolis at the same time. So one of Aaron's favorite bands is comprised of, or I, I just realized that that's, somebody on Twitter taught me that's not how you say it. So comprises, who cares? One of Aaron's favorite <laughs> bands that I've obviously never heard of. And he was like, oh, do you like Cadillac Blindside? And I was like, oh, yes, I will Google that when I get home. <laughs> that's Matthew's Friends. So all these shows that Aaron was at, Matthew was there. Like Aaron mm. loved all these bands that Matthew was like adjacent to you, or like that he would also play at these shows in Minneapolis. And I met I met Matthew because of my friend Mo, co founder of the Hot Young Widows Club. And we were having one of those. Did you wanna hear this story? I don't know why I'm just telling you this whole story. No, I, <laughs> I love I could listen to you tell any story, please. I think that Aaron did send me Matthew, and through Mo, Mo and I would have never become friends in a million years. We did not frequent the same circles. She looks like John Bon Jovi in the eighties, super hot. I look on a good day like, <laughs> like a I. I could be a Lands End model if given the chance. <laughs> Aaron was a huge fan fan of Mo's husband Andy, who is in a band in Minneapolis, and. Andy suicided and at first he was missing and I came home from Mm. work because I was still working up until the very end with Aaron and Aaron was crying in bed and I thought oh god what happened and he was so sad because Andy Richardson was missing and Andy has a kid Andy has a wife and Aaron was sad for this man but he was really thinking I think Mm. looking back like oh god this is what Nora and Ralph will go through and So when we, when everybody found out that Andy was dead, there was a fundraiser and Aaron, you know, wanted to put a bunch of money in it. And I was like, we don't really have any, but okay. And I think he was just seeing like, oh God, I hope our community comes through for Nora the way people are coming through for Mo. And I, I he just had a lot of sadness about that. And eventually Mo introduced me to Matthew and I was not in, it was about a year after Aaron died. I was not uh looking, I did not want to date anyone like ever again. I didn't want to fall in love. I wanted to yeah. maybe one day have sex with somebody possibly, but mostly I just wanted somebody to like uh, like change light bulbs, which I was capable of. I'd been doing on my own for <laughs> forever, but can't someone else kill these centipedes for me? Can't somebody else just, you know, uh, <laughs> shovel? I don't want to shovel anymore. Uh and I met this guy and I was like, oh, he's been through something. Like he's been through something. I don't know what it is. Just oh. <laughs> all these things always felt like they were leading us towards each other. And I, I don't know. I Now that I look at – when I look at the son I had with Matthew and the son I had with Aaron, it is like watching my two husbands hang out. And <laughs> Ralph, who I had with Aaron, is the entertainer. He is the leader. He, you know, he's – He's so funny. And um, our baby, who we call baby, he ad- is gonna be an insufferable adult male for that reason, and Matthew are like, they're really good guests, you know, like they're a good audience. They're 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 just they love to laugh. And and Aaron and Ralph love to entertain. And it's it's very, very cool. And so that dream did mean a lot to me. It did feel like a visit. It felt like Aaron is um, and I always feel I do, I do often feel him. And, I, and I've made a point to like keep him a part of our family too. So that we have a blended family. Ian is 18. He's from Matthew's first marriage. And uh, he graduated high school. Again, a non-event, an event non-event. And we were moving in all this stuff. And I have, you know, bin after bin after bin of Aaron's clothing, his ironic t-shirts from the late 90s, early 2000s, every, every sweatshirt, pair of shoes he owned. And Ian opened one. He was like, can I go through this? And I said, Mm. yeah, actually, like this is what I'm saving it for. And he picked out some of Aaron's favorite stuff and was like, do you think I could wear these? And I was like, Mm. oh my God, yes. Yes. Don't let them rot in these, in these, you know, uh, giant Tupperwares, like wear them. And he walked in today wearing one of them and just like my heart. I'm just so happy about that. I'm so happy about that. Oh, I love that.
0: We'll get back to Nora McInerney in just a second. Our editorial and product development teams like to stay in the know when it comes to which clean products are best. And at home, I try to prioritize ways I can further detox and clean things up. Dr. Sheffield's certified natural toothpaste contains no synthetic detergents, foaming agents, harmful bleaching agents, or artificial preservatives. It's also certified by the Natural Products Association. And fun fact, their toothpaste formula is still made from Dr. Sheffield's original notebooks and recipes from the 1870s. On the same site, Dr. Sheffield invented toothpaste. They don't sacrifice taste or texture. It comes in eight different flavors, including natural peppermint, cinnamon, sensitive care, and extra whitening. To learn more about Dr. Sheffield's certified natural toothpaste, head to drsheffieldsnaturals.com. It's also available at any major retailer like CVS or Walgreens. I am not what you would call a from scratch baker and our food editor Caitlin tells me that's okay. So I appreciate companies that take some of the work out of preparing good food. And I like products that both my kids and I can enjoy. Simple Mills makes everything from crackers, cookies, and snack bars to baking mixes and pancake mixes and frostings. And they're made from only simple whole food ingredients and nothing artificial. All Simple Mills products are non-GMO and naturally free of grains, gluten, and soy. And the number one ingredient in each of their products is always something nutrient dense like nuts or seeds. So it's a little easier to follow that 80-20 rule. Simple Mills makes nine different baking mixes, including artisan bread, pancakes and waffles, muffin mixes, brownies, pizza dough, and more. The number one ingredient in each of the mixes is almond flour, and they have less sugar than most other baking mixes. Another Simple Mills favorite of mine are their almond flour crackers, specifically the cheddar flavor. I'll admit, they're dangerous, but if you wanna get a lot of steps in as you walk to your desk, to your kitchen, They might be your thing. I couldn't stop until I ate the whole box. From now through June 30th, use promo code GOOP15 for 15% off your order on SimpleMills.com while supplies last. That's SimpleMills.com using code GOOP15 for 15% off your order while supplies last. Back to my chat with Nora McInerney. Oh, I'm still trying to recover from your dream. It's so beautiful. And so I think anyone who has lost someone close to them can relate because those dreams feel very different. And it really feels like a visitation and like something
1: different. I've had some of those experiences myself. And you just want to know like, everyone wants to know that they're doing a good job in honor of their dead person. And, and, it's such an unknowable thing. Like, is this a way to honor them? And the way to honor a person who is dead is living, is like truly living. One of my mom's friends lost her husband to glioblastoma. And she sent me this message right after Aaron died. And I quote it all the time. Mary Balcom, a beautiful, beautiful, wise woman. She said to me, we have a sacred responsibility to live fully in the face of our losses, mm-hmm. period. It's a bitch, though. <laughs> I was like shit yeah
0: yeah but it's true it's and it's true. it it's it sort of brings us full circle to this time right now and I feel like people are understandably very scared and 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 stuck in fear right mm-hmm. and there's this idea almost that like if you go out and engage with life or connect or touch life like you will die mm-hmm. and I think as we come out of this and whatever it turns out to be, you know, whether it's post-vaccine or whatever happens, happens, but I think that the also the lesson, not like, oh, let's all go out and get COVID and overwhelm the healthcare system, but like there is no point in living in fear and constriction that is not not the idea the idea is like how do we engage love and it's scary you know as you know as a mom like when i had kids everything change all the stakes change right suddenly it's like oh i can't i don't i can't i don't want to die and leave my kids or as you start to attach right love feel everything is sort of ratcheted up in terms of it the stakes but that's also you know the, that's the biggest source of joy
1: so it is. It's like the 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 cost of you engaging with life is loss. Like is an yeah. absolute certainty that you will lose at some point. And I think that I see a lot of like um this happens right this happens in every kind of grief too, which is like comparing and being mm. like, Oh, you're sad that you can't graduate. Well, you know, my this person's dead. And it's like, yes, those <laughs> those are both but if we say that the only thing that matters about life is that it begins and it ends and those yeah. are the two biggest weights is like that that like that just at the those end points then what is the point if you do not allow somebody to truly like to grieve and mourn the fact that they are missing milestones they are missing human contact they are missing just the stuff of life then you are negating the value of life itself because life is not just the beginning and the end. It is all of these tiny things in the middle. It is being able to see your dad, hold your kids. It is being able to go to the grocery store and judge the person in front of you for <laughs> for, for doing extreme couponing in the express lane, okay? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not just the intersection of the things that we like, the things and the people that we love, but the fact that our lives intersect with so many. And I think what we have to figure out now is like, what are how are the ways that we engage with life that honor the importance of all of it that are respectful to to uh, to all people around us and that also like foster connection and help us live fully in the face of this loss in the face of our fear in the face of something that is truly overwhelming and and frightening and it it can't all be zoom calls forever because mm-hmm. i am so tired of only seeing the front of someone's face. <laughs> that's true. And
0: I think that for all of us, it's, it's acknowledging the messy and that it's never tidy and it's never neat. And we're never going to say, you know, you talk about this at length in the book, but we're never going to say precisely the right thing. Many of us are going to say the wrong thing. Um, but as you say, you may be the person who said the wrong thing, but that's better than being the one who says nothing at all. That's true. Um, and I think it's that. It's like sometimes we don't engage because we're uncomfortable, right? And I know you talk about sort of losing friends, like people who stood up for you at your wedding who couldn't be there when Aaron died and losing, you know, we just get so uncomfortable with the hard stuff in life. And, though, and so I think we just assume that we don't, you say, I'm proud to have kept my eyes open when it would have been easier to look away. And I really think that that's what's required to live fully. It's to stay engaged. Yeah. And to know you're going to fuck it up and make people uncomfortable, but that absent that, you're
1: you're not really fully living. No. And I felt, I did feel obviously extremely angry about a lot of our you know friend relationships and some family relationships, but mostly I felt sad for them. Because they missed out, like they really mm-hmm. did. They missed out. It's such a powerful thing to be able to show up for people in their in the really hard stuff. And I know in a time where I mean, it is it has never been harder physically to show up. Showing up, by the way, uh, isn't is primarily not physical. Plenty of people show up to a funeral and are like, "Oh, I don't know." Checking their phones, doing doing whatever you know, like counting down the moments until they can like make eye contact with you and leave. It's yeah, like there's. It has also never been easier for you to be to to actually try to be emotionally present for somebody, and I don't mean that you have to sacrifice your own well being, burn yourself down to a nub trying to keep everybody else around you okay. But you can you can show up for the people around you who are really struggling, people who have experienced loss and say, I don't know what to say. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. Like you can do that. And you can also, you can just say, this is terrible. This sucks. One gift that I think is always welcome is,
0: you know, Certainly one one common theme when someone has lost someone is like, I don't want to bring the person up because I don't want to remind them that their dad died or their husband died, which is or their child died, which, you know, you're oh, you're there's never a moment when you're like, oh, my God, I forgot. Like, I had a husband and he died. Wait, (laughs) But, but I think the thing that you can offer people is stories
1: and oh my God. Yes, an opportunity.
0: Yeah, an opportunity to talk and think about people who you love, who you don't get to see. And, you know, that when Peter died, the number of stories of things that he had done or ways that he had touched people's lives or just funny, drunken, you know, hilarity, because they're not here to continue to make memories. Mm-hmm. And so. There's a finite number of those in the world, and so the more you can add to someone's repository and show them parts of a person that you might not even even seen or known, oh, I think that's the greatest
1: truly, gift. It's like it's like these people. Every single person that you interact with ends up being a little horcrux for you, and 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 you. Like Bits of versions of that person are stored in every person they ever met. And five years later, when I get a message from somebody who I don't even know, who went to high school with Aaron and they found a picture or they just remember a specific story and they give that to me, what a present. Like, What a gift. You do not have to bring up that the person died. We want to know that their life mattered. Like you can bring Mm -hmm. up their life. And in fact, doing that is uh, just the most soothing thing that you could possibly do. I want all of those stories. And especially in those few, those first few months, I was ravenous. I read every email Aaron had had in his his Google inbox. Was that a violation of his (laughs) privacy? Probably. But you know what I found? I found that he kept a whole file on his computer and in Gmail of things that he was going to buy for me someday. Oh, I hope you bought them all for yourself. I bought a lot of them. One of them arrived after he died, at least. He had left a comment on this jeweler's Instagram way before the time that it... I mean, this is like 2014. Instagram was not the same. And he was like, oh, I got to find my wife's ring size. And he had apparently like, I don't know if he'd of course she figured it out and she sent it to me and it arrived on Christmas and I wear it right next to my wedding ring with Matthew. Oh, I love that. I can cry. <laughs> I know. And also he's, he bought Taylor Swift <laughs> tickets with his mom's American Express right before he died. And they showed up after he died and I was like, oh god and also we bought each other the same present, a Wes Anderson book. And they both arrived. One I had ordered for him, one he had ordered for me. Merry Christmas. Now I have two Wes Anderson books.
0: (laughs) I love that. He's still giving to you. Gift of the Magi. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, the other part of your book, both books, really, which are, you know, hilarious. And I think, you know, you've managed to find two amazing men to love and marry, which for a lot of people is, you know, a feat a lot of you know my friends are struggling to find even one person that they deem worthy. Can you talk a little bit? I love sort of all of the things that you say about love and what it really is and how it's not born out of persistence or weed and alcohol. Yeah. But like cuz I I my experience was similar to you with my husband where I was like, "Oh, this is just happening." Yeah. Like it's, I'm not
1: persuading him. I'm not <laughs> courting yeah. him. It's just it's just done. It's just done. It's just like the act of deciding on each other and then making that choice over and over. And I feel like I, I don't know what I thought love was, but I was, I was like that little bird and are you my mother? But I I was like, (laughs) are you my boyfriend? It was like, no, I'm a dirtbag. I'm not your boyfriend. I've told you that to your face. And I'm like, yeah, but mm." (laughs) I think that you're just like, playing hard to get. And then I met Aaron and it was so easy. And it was as annoying as all of, you know, as I, do you know, I know exactly how annoying this sounds, Elise. We're like, oh my God, I just found him. Like he was just laying there uh, like a, like a a dollar bill on the sidewalk. And I picked him up, which is kind of how it happened. And yeah, it happened when I was not really looking and my twenties were bruising. They were, Awful and I and I can't even I was so sad and I remember walking home from work in Minneapolis down to my apartment and I was calling my best friend Dave Gilmore and he was like, You should be sad. You should be tired. He's like, you've been he's like, if you weren't sad and tired, I'd be so worried about you. Like he's like, You you have you've had terrible experiences. Like, what's wrong with like what are you doing? And Aaron was so uncomplicated and he just liked me and he was nice to me and he did nice things for me right away. And I was like, what's wrong with this guy? And I remember asking him one night, I was like, so are you like sleeping with anyone else? And he, his, he almost like fell off of his, he was like, what? (laughs) <laughs> oh my god. Why would you ask that? I was like, "Oh, cuz I'm supposed to ask like like I don't care, but I would obviously like deeply care." He's like, "I like you." Like we like each other. Like we've He's like, "You're my girlfriend." And I was like, "Oh." He's like, "Are right?" And I was like, "No, yeah, no, totally, totally." <laughs> but like he 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 operated on such a different plane than I did that that I sounded crazy to him. And I think that that kind of love, that kind of love let me be happy. Let me, you can't. Well, it's not performative. Be, Again, you're, you're not, not trying. Yeah. yeah. And I, and he liked things about me that I didn't even know were likable. He liked that I was funny. Most boys did not love that. Um They're like, I'm the funny one. And I was like, but you never make me laugh. Okay. And he liked that I wrote, he read my writing, which was bananas to me. And he just liked, he liked me. It was bonkers. And because of that, I felt after he died that I would, I would honestly have been okay. I would be okay for the rest of my life. I know he died when I was 31. I do not, I don't, I don't, I didn't think I'd, I'd had sex for the last time, but I was like, if that's the last time I love someone, if that's the last time someone loves me like that, okay. Like I don't, I will not need that again because it, it filled me up and I always have that like I will always mm-hmm. have that feeling of of like fullness in a way and I can I don't know I I love myself as much as Aaron did on a good day and I was I was okay not having that again and I also felt very greedy even wanting it like if I if I had been like yeah I'm ready I want to fall in love again like who who thinks that they they deserve that Like twice. (laughs) Like you can want it after a horrible divorce for sure. You can want it after an okay divorce, I guess. But like, really, like you're gonna tell me that this was like a a a life giving love? You want it again? Like how greedy can you be? And plus, like most of my friends have not found even one person to marry. Like I don't need I don't need two. And that's when I met Matthew, and I tried to keep him at a distance because so many reasons one if people knew that I was dating someone then they would obviously uh, obviously think that I was a cold-hearted faker obviously Aaron even like out in the everywhere would be like well guess you didn't love me it was such a terribly anxious time for me to feel, it felt like a betrayal. It felt like I was betraying my love for Aaron by feeling something for somebody else. And also I felt so safe around Matthew. And I hadn't felt like that in over a year, you know, like in about a year. And I met Matthew and I didn't think that it was going to be serious until we went on one date. It's <laughs> like, well, shit, crap. I, I asked him about his life, and he told me everything. And I could tell nobody had asked him. Nobody asks a, a a man about their divorce, about like the the betrayals that they've experienced. Like, no one had asked him about this. Like, it was it was embarrassing for people involved. Nobody wanted to be the person who brought it up. And I looked at him, and I was like, "You have survived. I can't believe all you've survived." and no one had said that to him and i just remember looking into his big hugely dumb blue eyes they're so big they look like cartoon eyes and being like oh crap like <laughs> now now we're together and it's it wasn't like this big like spark it was like oh it was like a reignition of something and then he would come over on the nights the very few nights when he didn't have his children and I would just cry. Like I would just like, I had, I had a safe place to grieve and to be sad and, and seeing him. And, and it's like everything I lost with Aaron became truly obvious to me. Like Mm. I did not just lose what we had. I lost the future we had and feeling that, that desire with Matthew also helped me feel the depth of everything that I had lost. And so after almost a year of trying to avoid feeling deeply, I felt everything deeply. I felt love deeply. I felt lost deeply. And this man let me lay on the floor and he played with my hair and let me cry and read him Mary Oliver poems. And... (laughs) I mean, it's like this man's coming over not for like some hot – he's coming over for some hot tears. <laughs> and- <laughs> well, oh. and I love
0: the the name of the chapter where you're like, I can't remember. It's like how to date a dad or why everyone should date yeah, a dad. Date and a dad. Talk- date oh, a dad. Because you talk dad. about – this fantasy that we all have that we are untarnished and we're going to meet someone who's untarnished and grow this life together. And that's obviously a total fallacy. We're all secondhand goods by the time we're 18. But, but that like, if we can lean into that, there's a lot of treasure there and you benefit from people who have
1: experienced hard things. Yes. And if you are a person who grew up in the millennium where like all media and major drama was like about like exes and, you know, really like dig deep into 90s pop culture. There's a lot of like, you know, like what's going on with your ex? And like, we're just sort of taught to be very jealous, you know, or... Mm Like, as if it all can be quantified. And if you spent a little bit of your love on somebody else before, like, well, how much did you spend? And is there enough left over for me? And I have a lot of appreciation for everything that Matthew went through, like, a lot of appreciation for it. And I think there's a lot to be said about building a relationship with somebody where they are not the center of your universe. And we will never, Mm -hmm. ever be that for each other because we have kids and we've, we've, We've already been through it. We are not that dumb to think, oh, I will get everything in my life from you. Just you. That's all we need. It's mm. plus like a dad any parent, really date a divorced person. I think I can't wreck or I'm honestly a widow, very also very good because they've been through something and you need somebody who has like one processed it in a healthy way. It's uh if they're upfront about everything that they've been through, like that is something that you grow from. That is a place that you like both you know, step off from together. And like, because of everything that Matthew went through, he's not like, people are always so concerned. Like, is he threatened by Aaron? I'm like, yeah, he's very, he's very threatened by like a tall, skinny dead man. You know, he's, he just, (laughs) if Aaron were here, they'd have the weakest little emo boy fight you would ever see. (laughs) So much glaring. No, it's like, he loves Aaron. Like, and and he loves me. I'm sitting in Aaron's mom's neighbor's house. Um and today Matthew came over to Aaron's mom's house and they hug and Aaron's mom and Matthew's mom and my mom are all friends and sometimes they have lunch and they don't invite me. We're all a part of the same thing. And mm-hmm. I I really love that. That is not something I would have imagined. No little girl like is is laying in her no little 13 year olds laying in bed being like so first i'll meet someone then he'll die then i'll meet someone who's divorced and i'll get to be like a stepmom and then also it's like (laughs) it 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 does not have the makings of a of a fairy tale but fairy tales are are boring and also if you read the originals extremely dark extremely extremely dark and with no happy ending whatsoever (laughs) no happiness period For more on
0: Nora McInerney and to listen to her podcast, Terrible, Thanks for Asking, head to noraborealis.com. That's N-O-R-A-B-O-R-E-A-L-I-S. And pick up a copy of No Happy Endings, It's Okay to Laugh, and The Hot Young Widows Club. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.